Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And the truth shall set you free. Speak Free Radio is proud to present The Fact Hunter. The Fact Hunter radio broadcast takes a deep dive into current and historical conspiracies from around the world. We are here to fight the cabal, to show the hidden hand, and to wake up as many people as we possibly can. Join the Fact Hunter Army today. So lace up your boots, ruck up, and fall into formation. Sir, yes, sir! Here is the Fact Hunter himself, George Hobbs. doing this morning. Uh, it's going to be a warm one here in the mid-Atlantic region. We're looking at about 94 degrees. It's already stifling, uh, but it is what it is. It's uh, June 29th, 2022 for you guys scoring at home. It's day 840 to flatten the curve. And I'm afraid I do have some bad news. Tomorrow is the last day of Pride Month. So uh, get out there and wave those rainbow flags while you can. Uh, just a couple programming notes. Uh, of course, tonight, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, it's our good friend Frederick C. Blackburn and uh, The Breakfast Club. That's uh, one of the can't-miss shows of the week. Uh, today is the beginning of a two-part series uh, with our special guest, Mr. Mike Gaddy. Good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, doing well. Hope you are. I can't complain. Like you said, if I did, uh, nobody would listen anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Very correct. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're, we're going to do a two-part episode. Obviously, part number one, we're going to speak on Virginia Tech a little bit today. Uh, and then tomorrow, uh, during uh, Michael Gaddy's show, Addicted to Our Own Destruction, from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, we're going to be talking about Fort Hood. And there is a reason why we are doing them uh, in this order. Uh, so, uh, again, Mike, uh, should we go through the official narrative, or is there kind of a precursor you wanted to lay out there for the people? Well, one of the things that I would like to do, George, is so that people will understand, and most Americans are victims of PSYOPs. They have never actually worked in one or helped create one. So that was the thing that I mentioned to you early on, is that when you get involved in something, when you want to influence people 
through their emotions, you have to do a prep. You have to show them something that will hit their mind and will actually seize their mind as uh, something they won't forget. And you use that. You continue to use that throughout. And, uh, you know, as you and I did uh, uh, as we were waiting to go on, we talked about the progression of these uh, mass shootings and uh, then especially the school shooting part. Great points. And you can you don't even have to look at school shootings to see how they prep the minds Look at the, I think, 95 with Dustin Hoffman, they had Outbreak, and then 2013, they released Contagion. Uh, all those were things to, to prepare your mind so when it actually, quote-unquote, happened, it was easier for the American people to accept. Oh, absolutely. And it, that's all, as I said, that's the prepping for your massive PSYOP. And, uh, you know, I was even uh, amazed uh, not too long ago. Uh, I don't watch TV, but uh, my wife does occasionally, and she was watching some reruns of... Uh, Oh, what was that cop show from New York, the one that was so popular for a while? NYPD uh, Blue? Uh, no, it was the one where they had the uh, uh, the lawyers and the cops and the courts, you know, all that other oh, stuff. Oh, Hill Street Blues. <laughs> uh, well, what, I'm, I don't think that was it, George, either, but uh, it was one of those... <laughs> It was one of those that the, the theme song became very popular. But anyway, she was watching that, and I happened to be uh, sitting uh, talking with her at the time it was on. And in a 2012 episode, they had a virus outbreak in New York City. And guess what the virus was called? Don't say coronavirus. COVID. Really? And this is yes. 2012? 2012 and it was on that tv series the you know okay. the one where the you know they go marching across the bridge and they do all this other stuff and i can't think of it uh first day with my new brain but anyway <laughs> uh, that was the uh that was also you know just it was kind of shocking and uh georgia i know that uh, you've read a couple of things i put together on uh, fort hood when i was at lourockwell.com but i also wrote an article there in 2009 where i predicted a pandemic with forced vaccination and yeah, i think two i'm sorry go ahead no go ahead sir i'm sorry no, i was just going to say 2009 is when the uh what was the one virus they were trying to get everybody to participate in but it kind of fell apart yeah yeah they didn't have the the uh, mind of the american public properly prepped for that yet so they had to come up with a few more TV shows about Ebola, and they had to come up with some more things to get the American mind prepped for their big move. But it's at, at times they will run these things out there. What uh, you know that thing we used to hear in the military all the time. Let's run it up the flagpole, see who salutes. Yep. So uh, they would do that from time to time with different to see if one was working better than the other. And, of course, having complete control of the uh, uh, lobotomy box called TV and the uh, movie industry, they could put out there whatever they wanted. So no restrictions. Very interesting. Let's, uh, if we could, let's start with the date. This happened on April 16th. Again, we're, we're kicking off with Virginia Tech. This happened on April 16th, 2007. Anytime somebody's planning a PSYOP or a false flag event or anything that's planned by the powers that be, how much uh, does the date go into, like how much, you know, we have to have it on this particular date for these particular reasons. How much of that goes into the planning? 
Oh, quite a bit, George. You're, you're into that numerology thing. Yes, sir. Several of your excellent programs on that. And that is something that is used over and over because that's part of the mind prep. Uh, and it's a subconscious mind prep. It's not something that's so obvious. But when you continue to have these things happen in April, you know, especially they like to hit around April 19th, if possible, uh, right. one, one way or the other. They love their sacrifice to Moloch, April yes, 19th. Very much so. So are you about ready to jump into old Virginia Tech here, uh, George? Yeah, and let's start out with, <laughs> because listen, uh, the, part of the reason we're doing this that you mentioned, you brought to my attention, was everybody talks about Sandy Hook and, and Parkland and the, the Pulse and uh, Columbine. These two get glossed over like, like a one-hit wonder from 1986. But when you actually take the time to deep dive into this, you're like, holy cow, this has as much or as many holes in it than, than Sandy Hook and the other ones do. Maybe more. I, indeed. So, so go ahead. Yes, I'm sir. sorry. No, I, I was just going to say that, uh, and that is intentional. And you and I mentioned that. And I think because there are so many things between these two shootings that actually correlate uh, and correlate to other uh, events and other government agencies, uh, to the point that uh, they did not want to shine the media light on either one of these for too long uh, because then people would start to look at it and pay more attention to it. And, you know, as my grandfather once said, Americans have the attention span of an Irish setter, and that's being uh, tough on the dog. So uh, they will uh, use this as much as possible, and they, they keep some things alive in the mind uh, that uh, that has their best track record uh they want americans to keep thinking about the same thing uh over and over again and to uh hey don't look over here uh nothing to see here just just pass on by and uh, i believe that uh as we will get into both uh virginia tech and fort hood have too many what the hells yeah, and you know, one thing I didn't think of that I'm going to have to research after this program is, you know, April 16th, 2007 was right about the time we had the surge in Iraq. I wonder if there was any bills passed that day that we might want to <laughs> <laughs> might want, might want look, look at look into. Yeah. So, well, George, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, let me ask you a question, buddy. Uh -huh. I'm sorry to step on you there. No, but no, let me, you, you, you are the fact hunter, and I, I really enjoy your programs, and I like the way you go about dissecting various events but as a fact hunter when you start looking at something like these two events what is the first thing you look for oh uh what who benefits and the mm -hmm. money trail to me that's the two big things okay if you're trying to put together the factual history of uh, events what do you look at if I look at the factual events, well, here's the thing. When we're fed garbage, it's hard to discern what's true and what's not. So you kind of have to look at everything, just like Bill Cooper said. L listen to everything. Listen to everybody and discern for yourself what's true and what's not. Um, and again, I'll read everything, but at the end of the day, I'll look at the trail to see who benefits um, if they're if either the, the perpetrator or the victims had any connections to any federal agencies, let's say like, oh, I don't know, DARPA or the CIA or the FBI. Hmm. Well, you, you could put all three of those guys under the same umbrella. Yeah. 
Well, the thing I look for, George, when I start looking at things like this, the two things are similarities and inconsistencies. There you go. So uh, those things, I think, uh, are those will be the bell ringers, so to speak, and which uh, give you a, a clue that you're on the right path. But uh, if you're ready to jump into old Virginia Tech, we'll do so. Let's do it. The Virginia Tech shooting spree uh, was a shooting that occurred on April 16, 2007. Hole number one, it com was comprised of not one, but two attacks uh, on the campus of the Virginia Polytechnic uh, Institute in Blacksburg, Virginia. Uh, Swang Hugh Cho, uh, an undergraduate at the university and a U.S. resident from South Korea, uh, a total of, I know here's your second uh, connection, 33 people were killed, including the shooter, and 17 were wounded. Now, they, they, there were no long rifles involved. Uh, I think it was two 9mm semi-automatic pistols, uh, six injured uh, from jumping out windows. So should we stop and just dissect that very first part there? Well, that is a great place to start. And, you know, this was a couple of the things that, uh, hit me right off the bat was number one, and this is ju this just brought up questions. This is nothing to do with a conspiracy, but uh, Mr. Cho was a uh, majoring in English, and he was from South Korea, born in 1984, and he had become a permanent resident in 1992. So he became a per permanent resident at the age of eight. I don't know. That just kind of struck me as unusual. But uh, anyway, let's jump into the fray here and let's take a look at what happened on December the 13th of 2005. Now, Cho is ordered by a local judge in Blacksburg, Virginia, to seek outpatient care after making a suicidal remark to his roommates at Virginia Tech. Now, he was evaluated and given outpatient treatment at Korean St. Albans Mental Health Facility. Now, shortly after the shooting, his records were seized by the FBI and have never seen the light of day from that mental health facility. Also, George, let's throw in here and put the groundwork in here. Also in Blacksburg and Christiansburg, Virginia is DARPA. That's the right. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. And here's something that is very critical. You can do a 60-year study. I have a PDF on DARPA if anyone would be interested. It's a pretty comprehensive study. And it shows that throughout their career, DARPA has no laboratories. They have no facilities. They have buildings and offices but they do none of this work in their facilities. All of their work is done in colleges and universities around the country. They go in, give the college and universities large grants of taxpayer money, and then they do all of the work. So you put a buffer between DARPA and, and the actual activity. But anyway, we have the fact that Cho went in and he was receiving mental health care. Well, on February the 9th of 2007, 
Mr. Cho picked up a Walther P-22 pistol that he had purchased online on February the 2nd from an out-of-state dealer, which was kind of struck me as kind of unusual because they were available everywhere. Why did he have to get it from an out-of-state dealer? Right. But he picked it up at the J&D Pawn Shop in Blacksburg, which is directly across the street from the administration of Virginia Tech. Then a month later, Cho purchases a 9mm Glock pistol and I think it was a Model 17 and 50 rounds of ammunition from Roanoke Firearms in Roanoke, Virginia. Now, why did he go to Roanoke? Because Glocks were available everywhere. Just the sure. questions, just the questions I threw out to myself trying to put this whole thing together. And so, as you alluded to before, we're looking at April 16th, 2007. And uh, at 7.15 a.m. on that day, the police were notified, both campus police and local Blacksburg police, were notified in a 911 call from uh, the West Amber Johnson Residence Hall that there were two shooting victims. Now this building housed almost 900 students. So there's a shooting there. Two people are killed. So the evidently the investigation begins by the local police, allegedly. And the, and the uh, campus administration is totally aware of this. I mean, you've got a murder that has occurred. But then allegedly at 9.01 a.m., Mr. Cho mails a package containing a video he made and photographs and writings about the crime scene to NBC News in New York. Now, George, who the hell does that? Nobody, of course, he would have. Listen, if, if he w if he had this planned out, he would have, uh, you know, dropped it off before he started doing this because he's not going to be like, okay, so I'm going to go to West Ambler Hall, I'm going to cap a couple people, then before I continue my rage, I'll go to the post office because they don't open until eight. I'll drop mm -hmm. off the the package to uh, NBC. Then I'll go back and finish the job because, uh, uh, you know, the, po the the campus should still be open. It's only two people, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So seven fifteen a.m. until nine twenty six a.m. We've got better than two hours here, George. Two hours and eleven minutes before the school sends out an email that a shooting took place at the Amber John Ambler Johnson Hall. So why do you wait because you know that the students are be going going are going to be going to class. So why didn't you tell them before they go to class that there had been a shooting as a, and we're going to get into that George because law in Virginia required that they notify the students. It was state law. That's right. And this was already eight years after Columbine, which was the big incident that, quote unquote, you know, changed the, the uh, standard operating procedures uh, for these type of events at any, whether it be an elementary school, a high school or a college campus. So 
Uh, SOP should have been, you know, 715 uh, very shortly after, should have been uh, all the campus and local police notified, um, either a lockdown situation. I mean, it would have been a lockdown situation until everything was cleared, and they would have canceled the classes for the rest of the day. I mean, you don't, oh, oh it's only two people and step over the bodies and rush off to history class. That, I mean, this is one of the biggest holes in the whole story. Well, and you and I both know you can't have a uh, classroom or a uh, building full of students if you stop them with an email at 7.15 or 7.30, right? Precisely, right. Okay, so does it look like the facilitation to put these people in a building to where they could be shot might have been coordinated? Oh, 100%, absolutely. So the first... Uh, so the shooting had to take place prior to 7.15 a.m. because that's when the police were first notified. So somewhere in that neighborhood. So then it's 9.45, two and a half hours later, 9.11 calls report a second round of shootings in classrooms at Norris Hall. Now, this is the Engineering, Science, and Mechanics building. So 32 students and faculty are killed and then, of course, he kills himself, which is SOP. Yep. So we have 33 people killed. Now, five minutes later, at 9.50 a.m., the campus police put out, please stay put. And a second email then notifies the students that a gunman is loose on campus. Okay, university officials at 9.55, five minutes later, send out a third message about the second shooting via email and text messages to all students. Now, 10.16, all classes are canceled for the day after 33 people are dead. Okay, and, it, go ahead, George. I was gonna say, and that's three hours after yes. two people had been murdered. Mm-hmm. So imagine that. So 10.53 a.m., students receive an email about the shooting, and the subject line says, second shooting reported police have one gunman in custody. Now, how many times are we going to hear this story, George? They have a gunman in custody, which was never true, according to their official narrative. And you'll hear a similar story tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. So uh, then we go to 1242 p.m. that same day, and Virginia Tech President Charles Steger issues a statement that people are being released from campus buildings and that counseling centers are set up. Wow, they did that faster than they notified the students there was going to be a shooting. Yeah, and that... That's uh, interesting. <laughs> you, you would think, now listen, it's important for, for students who you know may have seen this type of thing. That's a traumatic thing. Right. You would think there's about 37 other things on the checklist you'd need to get to before you have that ready. You would think so. And usually in most instances, these usually aren't set up until the next day, George. Correct. Absolutely. Uh, you know, even in the military, when we had traumatic events, normally a day or two after, if we lost a soldier or something, you know, they'd say, hey, listen, if anybody... You know, need some help, you know, here's this, but not <laughs> not an hour or two after the event happens. And how could the who did they have to call to get this set up? 
And how long did that take? That was my question. So you can have it set up at 1242. But and, it takes you three hours to lock down a school that had had two murders, uh, you know, three hours prior. Mm-hmm. Somebody seems to be real efficient at one thing and really suck at another. Okay, so then we let's move to April the 18th when NBC News announces that they received the package containing the pictures and the written material, which they believe were from Cho. Okay, let's jump forward a few months to August the 15th of 2007. Now, here's where it gets to be interesting. It is announced that the Hokie Spirit Memorial Fund, funded by private donations, will donate $180,000 to the families of each of the 32 victims. Now, look where we start here, folks. $180,000. Those injured will receive $40,000 to $90,000, depending on the extent of their injuries, and a waiver of tuition and fees, if applicable. Now, I'm not sure what the hell that means, if applicable. If you were shot, you're shot. Uh, (laughs) All right, March 24th of 2008, we're jumping forward a few more months. The state of Virginia proposes a settlement to the families related to the shooting. In it, $100,000 is offered to representatives of each of the 32 people killed, and another $800,000 is reserved to those who were injured with a $100,000 cap. Expenses not covered by insurance, such as medical, psychological, and psychiatric care for surviving victims and all immediate families are also covered, according to this. Now, let's move ahead a month. Governor Tim Kaine. Mm. (laughs) What an individual. Isn't he wonderful? Didn't he run with Hillary in 2016? Yep. Okay. Well, Governor Kane announces that a substantial majority of the families related to the shootings have agreed to the settlement offered by the state of Virginia. It wasn't clear at that time how many families have not accepted, but the settlement will pay survivors medical costs for life and compensate families who lost loved ones. By accepting the settlement, the families give up any right, now this I think is critical, to sue the university, to sue the state of Virginia, or to sue the city governments where the college is located. At any time in the future, they give up all rights to sue them for any negligence. Neither the attorneys representing the families nor the governor would discuss the exact terms until the final papers were drawn and accepted. Let's move ahead uh, another couple of months. A Virginia state judge approved the $11 million settlement offered by the state to some of the victims and families of those killed in the shooting rampage. Families of 24 of the 32 killed, as well as 18 who were injured, are included in the settlement. Now let's jump ahead almost two years. Norris Hall reopens. And it reopens and it is called the Center for Peace Studies and Violence Prevention. Is that ironic or what? (laughs) Can't make it up. So December 9th of 2010, here we're jumping another year. 
and a year and a half or more. The U.S. Department of Education releases a report charging that Virginia Tech failed to notify students in a timely manner as prescribed by federal law called the Clary Act. Hmm. So it took them two years to come up with that? Yes, it took them two years to figure that out. <laughs> so then let's jump ahead almost another year and a half, George, to March the 24th of 2012. Now, here's where it gets to be fun. A jury of the people awards $4 million each to two victims' families who sued the state for wrongful death. The jury finds that Virginia Tech failed to notify the students early enough following the discovery of the two shooting victims at West Ambler Johnston Dormitory. The families of Aaron Peterson and Julia Pride argued that had officials notified students and staff earlier of the shooting, lives could have been spared. The Peterson and Pride families did not accept any portion of the $11 million settlement between the state and the families of victims, opting instead to use the courts to sue for wrongful death. Now, the amount is later re reduced by the courts now, this is after a jury has made a ruling. The courts reduced it to $100,000 per family, which would have been the original settlement. So don't you people dare try to sue us is the message that was spent. But now here, another year and a half passes, George, and the Supreme Court of Virginia overturns the jury verdict in the wrongful death suits filed against the state by the families of those two victims and states now listen to this quote there was no duty on part of the commonwealth of virginia to warn students about the potential for criminal acts unquote so give me one second here we already said in 2009 that they violated uh, i had the act in front of me but the act where the it's a state law that um, Clary Act, yes, yeah, the I'm Clary sorry. Act, responsible for notifying students in, in an event like that. A mm -hmm. couple of the families said, "Nope, we don't want part of your settlement. We're going through the courts our own way." Uh, and a jury uh, awarded four million dollars to these families, mm -hmm. and then afterwards, uh, a court—I uh, guess what this would be like a maybe a federal court of appeals or a state court of appeals. Supreme Court of Virginia. Supreme Court of Virginia just says, nah. Um, and they pull a number out, 100,000. That's, that's all your child's life or your husband or whatever significant other, $100,000. Right. And then it becomes, $100,000 becomes zero. Mm-hmm. And this Supreme Court of Virginia says, let me read this again, there is no duty, there was no duty on the part of the Commonwealth of Virginia to warn students about the potential for criminal acts. And they say that even though there's a state law that says they do. So the Supreme Court of the state of Virginia overturned a decision which was rendered by a court of law and was rendered by a jury. Now, there's got to be something else to it, because here's what's weird to me. Uh, $4 million uh, in the context of a state budget is a lot. $100,000 is not. Why would they 
was it just to spite the family? I mean, why would they even go out of the way to take that $100,000 just because they didn't want to play ball and they wanted to, to, to spite them? I'm not sure, George. The thing that I'm seeing here is that uh, quintessential motive or what is said to people, don't mess with the government because we will kick your butt. Yeah, that's pretty obvious. That, that's awful. Okay, now let's jump all the way to 2014. And the U.S. Court of Appeals denies a request by the Pride and Peterson families to reconsider the Virginia ruling. So then the federal courts get involved. They won't even hear it. So if you won't hear a case, how can anyone ever get justice, George? That's brutal. See, and these are the things you don't hear about. So then here's the end of this one for what it's worth. April 2014, Virginia Tech pays a fine to the U.S. Department of Education, a fine of $32,500 for violation of the Clary Act, the law which requires colleges and universities to provide timely notification of campus safety information. They get fined thirty-two grand, George. Thirty-two grand, measly thirty-two grand, but they get fined because of that act. The same one, the Supreme Court says, no, they don't have any responsibility to notify the students. <laughs> this is, uh, it's a carnival. So here we have, let's uh, try to do some link up now, George, if we can. Yes. Let's look at the fact that we know that DARPA is located in Blacksburg and Christiansburg, Virginia, and it actually has a presence on none other than Virginia Tech. Indeed, and uh, I think it's well known that Virginia Tech is one of the top colleges that the CIA and those type of agencies like to scout individuals. Mm-hmm, very much so. And so here we have this shooting, and with all of these uh facts we're able to present here that people certainly weren't told. These were not major news stories, I promise you. No one on Fox News had on that evening, well, uh, here folks, so you will know that the state of Virginia has just screwed the families of uh, people who were killed at the Virginia Tech shooting. Nope, you never heard that on any of the mainstream media. Nope, and you won't hear it today. So, why, I, I just don't understand, George. These, these are the things that get to me. These are lessons that are being taught to people because money is nothing, because it's produced with a keystroke on a computer. That's right. I mean, you know, if we can come up with, what, uh, $40 billion to send to uh, the Ukraine, but we can't take care of families that were killed by negligence of the state, that they didn't even... They took two hours to tell the students don't go to class because by that time they were all in class. Yeah, and you have to remember, not uh, all of the victims were students. A lot of these were teachers. They were breadwinners yes. of the families. Mm -hmm. and, you exactly. Know, that, that income is not replace, replaceable. 
Um, and uh, it's terrible. You know, in one case, they're fining the school for not following the act. Uh, what's the name of that the act again? That is the Clary, C-L-E-R-Y, Clary okay. Act. Thank you, Clary Act. Uh, on the other hand, you have the state Supreme Court saying, no, it's not their responsibility. So either it is or it isn't. Uh, but if you're dealing with government, it can be both. Precisely. Pre-freaking-cisely. Here is the thing, George, and you made a very valid point there, and thank you for doing so, that several professors were uh, killed in this rampage. Yep. Okay. Um uh, how long, and I don't know, back in uh, 2007, I'm not sure exactly how much a professor was making, but I guarantee you, I do not believe $100,000 would cover two years of pay. Would you? Absolutely. And he's probably making, even back then, probably making 70, 80K a year. And so for their life and their ability to provide for their families uh suddenly it is deemed that you only get a hundred thousand dollars is that not uh, putting kind of a cheap price on human life george indeed and you can't imagine how how many of the insurance you know maybe some of these folks had life insurance if, if you don't realize <laughs> life insurance companies do not pay out quick either they will hem they will haul they will try to find any loophole in their contract to, to keep the money in their hands well you know george that is something that uh, you know might uh, might be fun to look into just find out uh, and i'm not sure where we would even go for the information but find out if those people had any problems collecting uh since the courts had ruled the way that they ruled yeah, that's. I, I should have thought ahead of time. Try to file some Freedom of Information uh, Freedom of Information Act to get some of that uh, that paperwork from the the court hearings. I'd love to see how these Supreme Court justices in the state of Virginia uh, would have reached that decision. That you know, they're supposed to be the best and brightest uh, in the state to reach the Supreme Court, and they can't see a law that very clearly states, or I should say, clearly states. That, yes. <laughs> that they have to let the students know. And it was three hours. That's unacceptable. And maybe again, maybe in the Clery Act, it's a loophole. Now, did it say exactly how much time they had to notify the students in the well, Clery Act? No, but uh, the jury, now here's the key, in my opinion. We're supposed to have trial by jury. That's what, in the Seventh Amendment? Yep. We're supposed to have trial by jury in civil cases as well as criminal cases. Mm -hmm. Okay, this was a civil case where the families of the people who lost their lives, two young ladies who lost their lives, have sued because the university, the state, whoever that is the defendants, and I'm sure that they were all defendants, and a jury of their peers listened to all of the evidence and made a ruling which is supposed to be the final arbiter. According to Thomas Jefferson, he said that the final arbiter of what is and what is not just and constitutional sits with the juries, both Pettit and Grand. But yet here, the government 
in the Supreme Court of the state of Virginia overruled the people again and said, no, you got it wrong. Those people don't deserve that much money and we're not going to give it to them. So, George, in a system like that, where will you find justice? At the bottom of a beer bottle, that's about it, <laughs> because the fe- you're not getting it from the feds or, in this case, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the, the state. Well, again, back to the connections, and we're looking at the fact that we have DARPA here, and yeah. DARPA gets involved in some deep, dark stuff, as we know. So uh, let's... Uh, think about uh, there is that book and there's been some questions uh, how how well are you acquainted with one Kathy O'Brien uh, vaguely okay and she wrote a book called trance t-r-a-n-c-e transformation of America and in that book she claimed that uh, now I've seen that she's come under some uh, questioning uh, I have a very good friend in Tennessee who actually entertained her at his home uh, back uh, s- several a couple of decades ago. She and her husband, who was her CIA handler, so that that gives you a little uh, bit of that okay. gives you a little bit of questioning. But anyway, uh, she said that uh, Virginia Tech was known for two things: mind control, and you know political, uh, you know, engineering or whatever the school is there for. But anyway, the mind control was quite the focus point. So, well, what do you see so far, George, with, uh, with what we're looking at with Virginia Tech? Does anything here make any sense to you? None of it makes any sense. Uh, and again, the fact that it took place uh, in Virginia Tech where – you know, a lot of the Project Monarch, uh, MK Ultra, Artichoke, all that stuff, uh, mind control, hypnosis, um, all of that is, that's where it's home to. So why not, if you're going to, and look, since 2007, we've seen a string of them. So maybe this was the one, hey, let's test it. Let's see if this really works. And uh, in hour two or a little later, we're going to talk about some of the victims. Some of the victims were either related to some pretty big people where they were people in uh, pretty high positions within the government or had links to the Navy and things like that. Well, George, if you wanted a target-rich environment at the Norris Hall, and you had had a shooting previously at the dormitory, how would you ensure that you had a target-rich environment at, that, uh, at Norris Hall? Well, you would ensure it happened during school hours, that's for sure. And you would, uh, as we know, I don't know if we've mentioned it yet or not, but the feds, again, why are the feds involved so quickly? Uh, The federal, uh, I don't know if it was the marshals or the FBI, but they told um, the police and the MTs to stand down. Uh, Similar to, like we were talking before the program, uh, exactly what you saw in Uvalde. And... That is very critical because here's something, and I've looked at this, George. I've looked at uh, uh, several different uh, shootings uh, going back to California in the uh, 1970s and 1980s and then looking at Columbine. And I'm trying to find similarities to these things. And where are the 
irregularities and where are the similarities and trying to put together a cogent thought on how this is happening. And we see the same thing happen over and over and over again, which tells me that they're following a plan. But if we look at Charlottesville and we look at Uvalde, we look at uh, Columbine, when can you imagine the police arriving at a scene where they're told that there are children being killed inside and they stop and set up a perimeter to not allow anybody into the school and they don't go themselves. In what world would that actually happen, George? Precisely. In a, in a truly organic environment, if there are children in a harm's way, I would venture to say, you know, look, fear is a big deal. Gunshots can be intimidating. But I would say at least, let's just be, let's just say two-thirds of people, whether they be armed or unarmed, are going to run in there to try to help those children. And in these cases, we continue to hear, whether it be Uvalde or, uh, you know, here in Virginia Tech, it's the same story, a disturbed lone gunman, um, you know, police hesitate, feds lock, you know, stop people from going in. You heard the story how federal marshals were, were tackling parents. And I'd mentioned to Mike before the show, there was a story that came out last night. The federal marshals are still harassing this lady at her home uh, because she won't keep quiet. And don't, I wouldn't be surprised if this lady next week, you see, a, look, look at the, the guy who was the uh, sergeant at arms uh, on January 6th, he mysteriously died two nights ago. Um, they do not care. If you get in the way of their agenda, they will kill you. And uh, Well, you know. George, if I may, let me relate that to something that happened in the Vegas shooting. Yeah, please. Okay. There was a young lady uh, from California in her early 20s, and she and her boyfriend, whoever she was engaged to, what it, her significant other, they had made the trip for the concert in Vegas. Well, they escaped, and when she got back to uh, California, the local news found out she had been there and had actually witnessed it, so her local news goes down to interview her. And when they are interviewing her, she alludes to multiple shooters. She said, oh, I saw three guys with uh, what appeared to be M16s that were actually on the floor, not in a building, but were actually at ground level. Three days later, she's dead, George. See, that's these are the stories nobody hears. And I'm sure, uh, was it a car accident, suicide? She just couldn't handle what she saw? Well, it was, uh, you know, an unexplained death was oh, the way it was listed. she got a COVID vaccine. Yeah, she, she might have gotten that COVID vaccine before it became popular. <laughs> yeah. But here is something else, George, and, and about the Las Vegas shooting. We might as well throw this in here as well, because that one is about as, uh, uh, as unreal as the rest of them. Yes, sir. But uh, the day that the uh, shooting happened in Vegas. Now, my son is a uh, project manager for a... Uh, gun manufacturing company. But at the time, he was working with another company which was heavily involved in optics, military and police. And 
he is also, as I have mentioned to you before, George, he is a, an Iraq war veteran. He was a captain. Uh, yes, sir. And he was what uh, I'm trying to think of what uh, cavalry unit it was. But anyway, they were the with the 25th ID. Uh, OK, so uh, he calls me up on the phone and he was telling me, he said, Dad, he said about three weeks ago, he said we had a training session with the Vegas uh, SWAT team. And I said, you did? He said, yeah. And he said, one of their guys sent me an audio of uh, what, it's, what has just happened. I mean, we're talking same day, George. He said, he sent me an audio. He said, uh, Dad, listen to this and tell me what you think. And I listened to it and I said, uh, son, that's a belt-fed weapon. And he said, Dad, that's exactly what I told the SWAT guy. So, George, uh, being the veteran that you are, explain to people the difference in the sound between a semi, uh, between a full auto M16 and a belt-fed weapon. Yeah, it's it's not close. It, it's it's not even close. And listen, I had a weapon in OIF one that uh, the M249, which you could. Uh, feed with a 30 round magazine or um we had an ammo called a pork chop which was just belt right. fed ammunition uh in a giant magazine there's uh it's very easily uh detectable and uh, i've heard that audio before and it is 100 percent uh that was uh i don't know if it was a 240 bravo 240 charlie i uh, don't think it was a 50 cal uh, but it, it was probably something like a, a 240 that they were using there by the way, can I ask real quick, was he uh, 25th, was he in Alaska or Hawaii at the time? Uh, he uh, came out of Fort Lewis. Um, he was with the, I just, it just popped into my head. He was with 214 Cav. Okay. In, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in uh, Talifar and uh, Mosul. So the, the, you're saying the Vegas police went up to Fort Lewis to train? Uh, yeah, no, actually uh, his unit went down to train uh, the uh, SWAT teams. Really? Yes. Huh. I was unaware of that uh, for some time, too, uh, that the military connection with the uh, local SWAT teams, uh, is, uh, isn't that a violation of the Passe Comitatus Act? Yeah, that, that is very uh, strange. Although I will, even, even when I was in Hawaii, I was with an uh, air ambulance unit. We were the, um, they didn't have a medevac unit, so our <laughs> mission uh, stateside was, you know, a, a guy crashed his uh, surfboard, you know, he wrecked. You know, anybody in critical con uh, critical condition that needed a medevac, they called us. Uh, so the guys would go out in the uh, in, in the medevac and the, the choppers and take them to the hospital, usually, you know, to Tripler. So it's not, it's, it, it is kind of weird, uh, but it does happen. The military does work with the state officials here and there. Mm. So, uh, George, <clears throat> pardon me, that was something we hadn't discussed before. Of course, we hadn't talked about Vegas, but uh, you heard that uh, audio clip as well from Vegas? Yeah, that was uh, 100% a Beltfeld weapon. I, it sounded like a 240 to me. Well, that was my thoughts originally, but, uh, you know, I, but I did tell my son, I said, uh, because he said, Dad, that's a belt-fed weapon. Don't you agree? Of course, he, he waited for me to say first, and then he uh, said, yes, that was a belt-fed weapon. He said, I have no doubt. Uh, so, But, George, here's the thing to for us to think about. How many Americans, if they heard that, would know the difference? 
Um, one percent. So if you uh, if you are in the media or if you are one of the perpetrators of the event, you don't care if people hear that, right? Precisely. They they would most people just assume uh, it was a fully just a fully automatic weapon, you know. One of the five or six that the alleged perpetrator carried up to his room and no one paid any attention to it? Yeah. <laughs> Did you see the ridiculous amounts of weapons were in the story? Yes. Yeah. And I'm sure, having been in that uh, hotel myself, yep. I can promise you if I would have carried two or three of my gun cases to the elevator, someone would have asked me a question. Yeah, and if you listen, if you've never been to Vegas, which hotel was that again that it happened I, in? I can't even remember. It wasn't Circus Circus, was it? No, no, no. I mean, I've been in most of them too. I've been to the Mirage and yeah. all, all of those. And listen, when you're walking to those casinos, there's thousands. You're walking past hundreds and thousands of people, just because anytime you go to your room, normally you have to walk through the casino, or you know, you're, you're walking right. by a lot of people, and there's very little chance that at least one or two people don't notice something unusual like that. And do you think for a minute in today's society, someone wouldn't have said something if you came walking by with gun cases? Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's not something normal. That's, you know, out of place, especially you, you just don't see anybody open carrying in Vegas where everybody's there to gamble and drink and have a good time, uh, not to uh, bring weapons in. Well, I thought one of the things that struck me about that as well, George, was the fact that they did produce a... Uh, closed circuit uh, camera from inside, allegedly from inside the hotel that showed him standing uh, in front of a uh, elevator yep. with two gun cases. Yep. Now, having been to Vegas, as you just said, and I was, uh, you couldn't ask most people this, but how many times have you ever seen anyone being the only person standing before an elevator in Vegas. Oh, never. Listen, <laughs> even at 4 o'clock in the morning, you go to catch an elevator, there's at least one other person with you. So these things just continue to not make any sense, George, But and we're going to jump into the victims here in the second hour. Uh, but uh, why, in your mind, does the American public keep buying this when their brain has to tell them it's not true because everybody if you know the guy on the news says so then it must be true the tv uh, i've done lots of podcasts on you know bernays and mind control uh, propaganda is real and remember you, you talk about operation paperclip post-world war ii many of those people they they brought over were at the top of the game uh, in mind control and it's something that this country focused on very heavily in the 50s and into the 60s. Remember how America, that we, we always talk about 1968, that tumultuous year, people were tired of seeing people get killed in Vietnam. And um, a lot of people don't remember MLK was running for president along with, um, well, why is his name, uh, uh, Spock. Spock mm -hmm. was going to be his vice president. Um, a big part of the reason he was killed by the CIA, FBI, New Orleans gangsters, was because of the uh, anti-Vietnam movement. It wasn't because he was a black guy. He was standing up against Vietnam. So, again, that's 
when they used mind control propaganda to, to take people's focus away from the anti-war movement. And I do believe, I know this doesn't go hand in hand with mind control, but I think that's one of the reasons uh, LSD was introduced uh, into the general public in the 60s, was to make them docile. Oh, Mr. Gottlieb. <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah, thank you, Mr. Gottlieb. Another uh, paperclip guy, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah it's uh, George. It, but, and of course, we can understand if people will overlook all of the abnormalities that we have in all of these alleged shootings, they will for sure put on a mask and run, get a jab, right? Yeah, yeah. And another thing that they're very good at is keeping the news cycle going so you can forget about what they perpetrated yesterday. And everything in the news cycle is what they want you to hear while the things they don't want you to hear are left out. So they become insignificant, like the uh, facts we just uh, covered about uh, Virginia Tech. Precisely. And I bet you, again, after the show's over, uh, when I get time later on today, when I sit down and try to research what happened on April 16th, obviously when you put in what happened on April 16th, 2007, this will be among the top of the headlines, but maybe, just maybe, you'll see a certain bill was passed that day that benefited somebody who may happen to reside in Washington, D.C. Oh, is that uh, the old don't look behind this curtain trick? <laughs> yes, precisely. Oh, well. Well, we got about a minute left uh, before hour one wraps up and how quickly it went by. Uh, we should focus a little more on uh, Sung Hu Cho. Uh, uh, Sung Hu Cho. Um, and then uh, we should talk about some of the victims. And uh, yeah, by the way, great stuff you brought up about uh, Las Vegas, because that's another one that has gone by the wayside that doesn't get enough looks as well. Oh, well, I tell you, George, it, uh, these things need to be exposed. But uh, then again, it's like uh, when I was talking with Dave Gahari about this uh, circumstance at, uh, you know, the publisher. Uh, are there people who really care enough to listen or to read about these abnormalities? I think they'll read it, but the, the question really therein lies, will anybody ever do anything about it? Will anybody ever be held accountable? Well, so far, the answer to that is no. Yeah, I think right now the, the American people are about O for 3 million right now. <laughs> and, but they're still in the game. They're still in the game, George. Still they're still the swinging game. the bat. Uh, hold the line, Patriots, as Q would say. Uh, <laughs> you're listening to the Fact Hunter broadcast on this uh, Wednesday, June 29th, 2022, with our special guest, Mike Gaddy. It's part one of two. Today's Virginia Tech. Tomorrow, uh, the Fort Hood shooting. There is our music. We're going to step aside, freshen up the coffee, uh, and we'll see you in about four minutes with our number two. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. It is our number two of the Fact Hunters radio broadcast for Wednesday, June 29th. And our special guest today is Mike Gaddy. We're discussing uh, a two-part series. Today, we're talking Virginia Tech. And tomorrow from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern time on Mike's show, Addicted to Our Own Destruction, we will be talking about the Fort Hood shooting, which took place in 2009. And there are a lot of 
connections between the two shootings, Mike? Oh, absolutely, George. Quite a few. And, uh, you know, as we were just talking, and I think we probably uh, should give our synopsis before we uh, end up uh, near the end. And that is, I, I believe, and I believe the facts will bear out that uh, the Virginia Tech shooting was an in fact operation on the ground. Everything tells me it was. Uh, I believe that the federal government was the ones who uh, kept the first shootings from being broadcast. Uh, you know, whoever shot the first two, whatever was done, because then the state was protected because they went along with the feds and they were protected in the court system. Uh, there's just uh, too many things here that, that do not add up. Yeah, another was the uh, kill ratio. I think his shot-to-kill uh, ratio was well over 60%. And remember, one of those guns was a twenty-two, Mike. Yes, yes, a Walther twenty-two. Without, If it's not headshot or a straight-through-the-heart, twenty-twos uh, don't take out a lot of people. They're, they're the number one assassination weapon, but it's a shot to the head. Precisely. You've got, And it's got to be fairly close range. Twenty-two is not a very big caliber bullet. No. What is it, 39 grain? Yeah, I mean, that's what we use to, you know, pop rodents or, you know, that out here in the country, that's what people use to pop, you know, pests. Uh, indeed, again, if you use a, again, it's not a long rifle either. He used pistols. So, and then the other thing, which I don't know we discussed yet, which we will hear in a minute, we're got, we have a clip to play. It, it's about two minutes and you'll hear the, the killer speak. Uh, I think if I remember correctly, Mike, they claim that his face was so disfigured from the assassination that you couldn't recognize him or the I'm sorry, the suicide. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Naturally. How convenient. Exactly. So I guess with that being said, let's play this clip. Uh, this is from, uh, I think, 10 years ago. Let's listen to this from NBC News. When the time came, I did it. Just minutes after firing two fatal shots at the Virginia Tech dormitory on Monday, Cho Sung Wee returned to his own dorm room and made the final preparations to mail what appears to be a video confession. When the time came, I did it. I had to. In a separate written document, he includes 29 photos he apparently took of himself. He looks like a normal, smiling college student in only the first two. In the rest, he presents the stern face and strikes the pose that was very likely what his victims saw later on Monday. In 11 of the pictures, he aims handguns at the camera, likely the very ones he bought in the past two months. In his 1,800-word diatribe, he expresses rage, resentment, and a desire to get even with exactly whom he never says. You had 100 billion chances and ways to have avoided today, but you decided to spill my blood. You forced me into a corner and gave me only one option. The decision was yours. Now you have blood on your hands that will never wash off. Much of it is incoherent, laced with profanity. He rails against hedonism and Christianity. You just loved crucifying me. You loved inducing cancer in my head, terrorizing my heart, and ripping my soul all this time. Though he tried to cover his tracks by filing down the serial numbers on his guns, he obviously wanted the world to know who was responsible for the worst mass shooting in America. He began working on these materials at least six days beforehand. I didn't have to do this. I could have left. I could have fled. But now, I will no longer run. 
It's not for me. For my children. For my brothers and sisters. The chief. I did it for them. So, listen, if you can't tell that that guy was under either, I don't know, hypnosis or some kind of drug induced MK Ultra type of thing, what are your thoughts on hearing that, Mike? Oh, absolutely, George. And look, I noticed also when I saw it the first time, he looked like he was reading a script. Yes, he uh, kept looking. Uh, I should put that link in the chat room because uh, check it out after the show. It kind of looks like a couple times his eyes glances off to one side, like he's reading from a script. That, uh, you know, and here's the thing that the preposterous, just totally preposterous. Now, uh, you and I, George, are planning a mass shooting someplace. And uh, we uh, know that we're either going to be killed or we'll kill ourselves when the cops get there. So the first thing we want to do is to file down all the serial numbers on our weapons. <laughs> exactly. That's the other thing I was going to point out. Why in the world, if you're sending a video to NBC News saying that you're the killer, why would you send a, a spend a second of your time filing down the serial numbers on your weapons? You send a video which they... Im- which they admitted was majority pictures of him in various poses. Boy, are yeah, you trying to are you trying to protect your two weapons <laughs> from prosecution? Uh, it's it just doesn't another you know just another item into the bin that doesn't make any sense. Now let's uh, I haven't asked you this yet. Why this guy? Why Sung Hui Cho? Is he just one of those people who took a certain test and his numbers came out right or? How do these government agents select these people, the Sirhan Sirhans and, and the, uh, you know, the, the Lee Harvey Oswalds, whether it's a patsy or whether it's a guy who actually carries out an operation? How do they select these people? And I know it's not the same playbook every single time. Well, here's my conjecture on this one. And most of it I can't prove because, number one, the number one indicator for me that this thing originated with his outpatient health care. Uh, mental health care was the fact that after the uh, shooting, the records were seized by the FBI. Why did they care if somebody else sees those records? Number two was the fact that DARPA was into mind control at that stage and still are, but they say they're not. But at that time, they actually admitted it and that they were into mind control in the uh, 2000 area to 2012. And so Here's the thing. They operate through universities and they operate through uh, local uh, institutions. So did they go through and look at the records when uh, Cho was uh, ordered to get mental health care in an outpatient clinic? Did they go in? Did they look at several people and say, ah, here's our guy. He's a student. Uh, We'll put him on these drugs. We'll, we'll have these prescribed, and he's under court order, so he has to take them. Uh, looked like a perfect setup to me, George. But, uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure they look for people who are already on some kind of medication or have been in their uh, MK Ultra program prior to, and perhaps since DARPA was there and he was uh, – you know, he had already started talking about suicide. Was he part of one of DARPA's programs at Virginia Tech prior to being ordered to seek mental health care? So your your conjecture is maybe just possibly he was in the DARPA program and that's what's completely screwed up his mind? 
Yes. Yeah. Great. Great point. Uh, I do believe. Again, when you listen to him talk, part of it looked like he was reading off a script, but he was under some medication, or well, he was under th- some kind of deep hypnosis that I've never seen before. Yeah, uh, George, uh, and you know, I know we're kind of jumping the track here just for a second, but yeah. with Gottlieb, and we've both looked into Gottlieb's uh, history. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you not find it unusual that these guys in the CIA, of course? Gottlieb came into the CIA. He was not a silver spoon guy. He was nope. not a Dulles member, uh, but he was brought in through paperclip. Yep. But he, it's kind of strange. The way that these CIA guys did, they would slip LSD in each other's, uh, they even did it at Christmas parties. They were doing it to each other when they were working on this mind control stuff. And of course, we end up with, uh, what was his name, Olson. Uh, the CIA agent. Oh, the who, guy who got killed. Yeah, who jumped out the window, allegedly. Yeah, it was Frank Olson, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he decides to uh, commit sideways, uh, and he, he gets, obviously gets thrown out of a window because he was about to pop the cork and let people know what uh, they were doing with this. But, you know, when you read these official reports that they ran in, that, they, that at Christmas parties they'd put LSD in each other's drinks, I mean, what kind of people do that? I don't know. I've never been to one of those parties. (laughs) (laughs) And then here's the other thing, too, that struck me as, and I knew, you know, as the old thing, the jig is up, was when uh, the Congress got some wind of MKUltra, like they would have ever done anything, but they got wind of it, and so they started subpoenaing subpoenaing, uh, CIA records, and the CIA destroyed all of their records. Well, George, uh, by the very definition, that's obstruction of justice. Yeah, absolutely. When you destroy evidence. Who was ever tried for that? Nobody. Who was ever indicted for that? Nobody. How much longer is it going to take for Americans to see that this government is a totally criminal enterprise and it does whatever the hell it wants to, whenever the hell it wants to, and quit thinking that there's some way that you're going to bring it under control? And it's funny how they celebrate people like the Dulles family. Uh, you know, they give him an airport oh with his name. Yeah. And he, mm-hmm. You know, it was uh, Alan Dulles was the one who was the one who formally approved uh, Project MK Ultra. He he greenlighted it. Right. He was also the guy who uh, greenlighted Operation Northwoods. That's right. That's right. Nineteen sixty-one. And JFK fires him and says he wants to uh, destroy the CIA into a thousand pieces and throw it to the wind. And then uh, JFK uh, allegedly runs into a bullet in Dallas. And uh, then who is one of the first people picked for the Warren Commission? <laughs> Dulles. Alan Dulles. Yeah, that, that's like basically if I get hit by a car and uh, they put my ex-wife on the board to decide uh, where my uh, life insurance money should go. <laughs> <laughs> Great analogy, George. <laughs> That's good. That's good, buddy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's the it's a big family. And it's like uh, George Carlin said, the U.S. government's a big family. You ain't in it. That's right. You're not part of the club. And you will never get justice from them. I don't care how many magic beans you find. No, not at all. Uh, let me ask you this. Do yes, you Do you think that Cho killed all 32 people before killing himself? Or do you believe, obviously we don't know for a fact, 
but do you think there was government agents in black? Uh, th- that witness you talked about, was that before the show or during the show? Who uh, uh, died three days after she... Uh... Oh, that was at Vegas. Oh, that was Vegas. I'm sorry. Okay. That was Vegas. Yeah, that was okay. Vegas. Yeah, she she died after that. That's uh, right. So, um, no, I I think it was a hit squad. I think it was uh, because of, as you alluded to uh, before, shot placement. Uh, this was not some amateur on drugs with a Walther P-22 shooting at people. And uh, one of the things that uh, brings me back to this, are you familiar with the Port Arthur shooting in uh, Australia? Yeah, that was basically the event that uh, ensured that those folks were going to lose their weapons down there. Exactly. Uh, are Have you ever read the crime scene reports? Uh, you know, one of my listeners from Australia sent me some pretty good information on it. Yes, indeed. There's a lot of holes in that one as well. Oh, could I uh, um, ask you the name? Can you reveal the name? Is that the lady or is that someone else? Uh, I think it was someone, I think it might have been her husband who sent that to me. I think it was Kayla's oh. husband sent that to me. Well, are you familiar with one Andrew McGregor? Andrew McGregor. Was he, uh, he, he wasn't the shooter, was he? No, Andrew McGregor was a Victoria police officer, a retired police officer, and he went on a speaking, uh, I've been talking with Andrew for, gosh, uh, 15 years now uh, on a fairly regular basis. Is uh, he a truther? Oh, yes. Uh, okay. He was He was revealing, and one of the things he brought up, and I've actually got a report, I'll forward it to you, that he sent me years ago of the absolute kill shot placement of those people at Port Arthur. And then... So basically it was a professional, it wasn't this yes, random guy. Who, yeah, uh, th- this wasn't some guy who, uh, who bought a pistol three days ago and decides to go shoot somebody. You know, the uh, especially at Port Arthur, but allegedly the uh, weapon of choice at Port Arthur was an AR-10. Were you familiar with that? Uh, no, I didn't recall that, that actual weapon, no. Okay, but Andrew McGregor says the crazy thing about it was is when they examined the AR-10 at the site, it had no firing pin. What? Yes. All right. So for you guys, if you're not gun savvy, you pull the trigger, and if you look at a bullet on the bottom, uh, the firing pin is what hits it and causes the you know the the powder to explode, and, and it sends the the bullet downrange. If you don't have a firing pin, you cannot uh, shoot a bullet. Well, I believe uh, I don't hold me exactly to the figure. I know it was over fifty percent, but uh, if I remember, uh, McGregor Andrew uh, told me that the uh, when at Port Arthur. The majority of kill shots were headshots. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And even, listen, uh, I just finished up last night um, the MLK podcast with uh, you know, J. Edgar Hoover. You, here's what something, folks, again, if you're not familiar with weapons, you have to understand. You can't buy a gun or, excuse me, a rifle and a scope, you don't just put the scope on and you're automatically zeroed. Of course you do, George. <laughs> you actually have to go to range and zero your scope. <laughs> um, but people think James Earl Ray just picked up a gun and threw the scope on and, and had had a, just a, a, a miraculous shot with a, a you know 760 gamester, or Game Master, excuse me. So if you missed it, go to my website, thefacthunter.com. I've got three parts. we got one more. 
next week well we'll talk about how uh hoover was uh heart attacked with maybe very well with his own heart attack gun that came out during the uh, church committee trials or hearings excuse me (laughs) yeah that uh, some of these things that people just can't seem to understand george especially what you just alluded to uh you know i'll never forget uh, i had a friend and i thought he was fairly adept in new mexico and of course, he wanted to. Uh, he bought a quality rifle, uh, and then he went to uh, Walmart to uh, get uh, his scope. And uh, he bought the the scope at Walmart, and he comes back, and he's already got it mounted, and he's telling me, uh, "I can't hit anything with this." <laughs> you think? And it was. He said, "Will you take a look?" And I said. I said, you know, when you look at that, you're, you're, uh, <laughs> you, you're, you don't even have your, and most people don't understand this either, George. So we're talking, you know, stuff that uh, I said, you don't even have your sights are not level. And I said, even, you know, look, look at your, look at your point, your, where your uh, crosshairs are. It's not level. It's at an angle. You'll never hit anything with that. Mm. But most people don't understand that, George, and they think that, you know, uh, Billy Joe Badass just goes down and picks up a, a rifle and a, and a scope or a rifle, and he goes in, and suddenly he can do kill shots at people who are scared to death and running, trying to get under tables and what have you, and he takes them all out, uh, you know, in expert fashion. Because you and I know, most other people wouldn't know, but... I promise you, if you have never been involved in shooting at human beings before, it does not come easy. No, not at all. <laughs> and for somebody who's run ranges in the military, trust me, there's people who <laughs> can't even hit a 50-meter target. It's, uh, it's a lot. Now, listen, obviously, you don't need a scope if you're going to hit somebody from you know a couple meters away. Um, but with a handgun, handguns are even more difficult to... Uh, to aim than uh, a, a rifle. That's why I don't, those stats are really hard to believe. And I've never, have you seen any stories where he actually went to a range and practiced and fired before? We're talking about Cho? Yes, sir. None. None. I did some research on that several years back. I could find, uh, and, you know, usually if that happens, they love to bring that out. If they've got video or if they've got proof that someone was at a gun range and someone was practicing, you know, like Sirhan Sirhan. Right. So if they've got that evidence, they've, that, they're, they're going to throw it out there. And that was never mentioned with Cho whatsoever, that he had actually practiced with any of these. And look at the time frame between the time he bought them and the time he did the shooting. Yeah, you know, I'm. I'm not sure he had time, you know, to to become acquainted with the function of the weapons if he wasn't a gun person to start with, and there's no evidence of that. That's my point. How did he know to? Did he have it lubed? Did he have CLP on that weapon? Did, did he knew how to, everything worked? Uh, just and to have that kind of, again over sixty percent kill ratio, uh, to, to to shot fired, that, that that doesn't add up. No, none of it adds up, George, but, you know, to Boobus, it doesn't make any difference as long as uh, Tucker Carlson says so on, at, uh, on the news in the evening. It's gospel, buddy. And here's something I'm not sure we even mentioned. I, I have seen reports 
uh, from eyewitnesses who said that the, his suicide shot was to the back of his head. But his face was messed up. But his face was messed <laughs> up. And people say, well, it blew it out. I'm not sure with the nine mil. But is that something that you had heard that he, the, his, kills, his suicide shot was to the back of his head? Yes, uh, and you know, I don't know how many people have tried to actually take get a, a toy weapon, get one of those orange things that uh, your kids used to play with when they, you know, 100 years ago, but get one of those and try to hold it to the back of your head. I don't care if you're ambidextrous, left-handed, right-handed, try to put a pistol to the back of your head. And then if you're going to actually yourself, pull the trigger, you're, yeah, you're, you're going to put it to your temple. Yes. Or, you know, some people eat it. Some people put it in their mouth. Oh, good point. Yeah. yeah. But uh, people do not normally shoot themselves in the face. Or in the back of the head. <laughs> or in the back of the head. That's why women, when they commit suicide, it's usually by drugs. It's usually not by a gun. And it's certainly not by hanging. They do not want to disfigure themselves even though they're dead. It's uh, that something deep within the human being that does not want to make themselves look bad even if they're a corpse. Precisely. And one thing I didn't even think of, if, if we go back, I don't mean to keep jumping around, sorry, but going You're back good. to the, the serial numbers being rubbed off, uh, one reason we didn't mention, we did say that, you know, it, a lot of things we didn't make sense, but think of it this way. Maybe they don't want the American people to take those serial numbers or a police officer or somebody on the scene to find out where those guns really might have came from. Good point, George. Good point. You don't want anybody to be able to check the origin. In other words, uh, but I remember uh, the first uh, uh, handgun I was ever issued surreptitiously was a uh, 9mm Browning High Power. Uh, had no serial numbers and had no writing on it whatsoever. And it was called a sanitized weapon. Uh, so I'm not sure. Maybe those weapons didn't even have serial numbers. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. But that's, again, this is something that is a big deal. Because, again, if you're going to do that, the last thing you're worried about, especially if you're going to send off a video saying, I did it. With your that, pictures. With your pictures and video, it, that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. That's incredible, George. But, again, you know, uh, what is that... Uh, I'll, I'll always remember this, pardon my little interlude, but I was debating a uh, professor in uh, Sacramento, California in the year 1999, and we were actually debating gun control and gun control laws, and this professor was a mathematics professor, and we were having this public debate in Old Town, Sacramento, and uh, the it was a female and she i she would come up with something and i would counter with facts and she would come up with something else and i would counter with facts uh near the end of our debate uh she stood up and was very agitated and she said mr gaddy i don't care how many facts you have you're not changing my mind <laughs> i don't care how many facts you have you're not changing my mind so why you then bother show up to debate well uh and you know this came from a mathematics professor i i checked it out later she was actually taught and how can isn't mathematics absolutes george yeah exactly 
100%. So you're dealing in absolutes, but when you get into an emotional issue, you're unable to deal in absolutes. That's a great point. And that's what these things are. These are emotional issues uh, and events that are meant to derive, to bring a person to a certain point. In these cases, to be able to accept more tyrannical gun laws, among other things. Well, I've got a question I want to throw at you, George, and it's okay. not about uh, Virginia Tech, but it's a, it's about Uvalde. Uvalde, if we look at anything, even if that was a planned false flag, it was so poorly executed, it's incredible. Now, my question has been, and I've talked with a couple of old friends and associates uh, about these issues that we've talked about for years. Are the people who are running these things becoming that damn incompetent, George? That's, um, I asked myself the same thing. I really started to notice the laziness on March 22nd of last year, uh, the King Soup shooting. There wasn't mm -hmm. even any blood. Now, granted, right. they did it on Skull and Bones Day, 322, and the headline for the Denver Post on March 19th was uh, Gun Bill Dead on Arrival on the very front page of the Denver Post. Uh, King Soup shooting happens, and the headline March 23rd, uh, you know, government leaders push through gun bill. So it's just... Yeah, imagine that. Yeah. Uh, but that one was really, really sloppy. And again, the the media just glossed over everything and just went on to the next story. Well, when you have a captive audience that will believe anything, uh, do you not lose your fine, you, you know, your fine-tuned mental attitude? Hey, we've got to make this exactly right. I mean, even if you're doing something criminal. And you finally, have they finally realized it doesn't make any difference how we do this? Uh, Bubis is going to believe it anyway? It seems so. And I thought for a second there, people were starting to wake up. But then uh, February came around and everybody put a Ukrainian flag, uh, flag in their front yard. So I, I gave up hope again. Um, it's a hard nut to crack. Why people still bother to watch television is beyond me. Uh, it's still a very, very powerful tool. And like you said, um, they run Hollywood as well, and that is a very important facet in their, I don't like to say mind control, more of a mind preparation for when things do happen, a uh, person will more easily accept it because they have seen it before and it's played in their head. Uh, it's, uh, it actually bothers me, George, when I look at it now, and uh, I look at some of these psyops that they're able to perpetrate on the American public and again, we go back to the uh, lady professor. Uh, I don't care how many facts you have. You're not changing my mind. Th does that not seem to be the motto of uh, the American citizen today? Oh, for sure. And I think part of it, uh, part of it is they don't want to be bothered with it. it. Cognitive dissonance, call it what you will. They just want to do their thing and uh, you know, watch their TV, listen to their music. They would rather just avoid it. Uh, what was it Emma Goldman said back in the 30s? Americans don't want to be free. They just want to be entertained. And that's something when I was cutting the grass yesterday, I was thinking about. Freedom's a big responsibility. It, to be really free means you can't depend on the government at all. A lot of people can't handle that, Mike. Uh, a dependent society. Yeah, that's we've become, you know, it started, well... <laughs> I know it started before, but 19, the, the 30s with the bankruptcy and the, the New Deal and all this stuff, we really have been a welfare state for almost 100 years. 
Oh, and that freedom, is true. Yeah, freedom isn't free, and it's uh, it's a big responsibility, and I'm not sure the people of today uh, are up for it. Well, have you noticed, I think I heard you allude to this, George, uh, in one of your programs, but have you noticed that everything that the federal government declares war on increases exponentially? Oh, absolutely. And the other thing they're really good at is not declaring war on a specific thing. Okay, so if you declare a war on Iraq, when, when they give up, the war is over. But if they declare a war on terror, there's no expiration date. Hmm. That was kind of like LBJ in 67 declaring war on poverty. Or war on drugs in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Well, and I went back and I uh, did an article years ago, but I was looking at what uh, happened with the war on poverty. And when, uh, in a speech, and I've got a copy of it, LBJ said, 20 years from now, America will be poverty-free because of this legislation. In 67, George, how many Americans qualified for federal assistance? Oh, wow. Percentage-wise, probably, let me guess, 40? Uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of less than a quarter of a million people in 67 in this country actually qualified for, for federal assistance under the oh, wow. poverty that's, guidelines. That's not much. Okay. How many... How many today qualify? Oh, then probably 40%. 44 million people. Wow, out of 330. So well, let's say, what's that, almost 10%, 9%. That's still a lot of people. So and Let's be the, honest. Uh, Mike, let's be honest. These numbers are pumped up, right? Oh, and yes. That's probably not even the actual number. They, they, oh, they want it to down to look good. Oh, yes. And so, but the point is there. The federal government declared war on poverty. And 60 years later, we have many times more. And, you know, we can do the same thing with, uh, with the drugs, George, when they declared war on drugs. Uh, do we have more drug use now than we did then or less? More drug use, um, fentanyl's out of control, heroin's out of control. And not only that, look, and this is something that kind of always bothered me, how they privatized prisons. And uh, mm. look, people don't go into business to lose money or break even. They go in to make money. And in order for a prison to succeed, you need prisoners, which was a big thing in Texas. Uh, when I lived there, they have a lot of private prisons down there. And I think we're, we're right at the top for uh, prisoners per capita in the world, right? That is correct, and there's also something that uh, you uh, alluded to there that most people are unaware of, is most of these prisons in their contracts have a minimum capacity requirement. Correct, otherwise to, they get shut down. Otherwise they, and so uh, it is up to the judges to make sure that those prisons stay full, or at least to the uh, limit uh, where they do not, where the government does not have to pay a penalty, because in their contracts, actually look at one of their contracts, George. It's interesting. A private prison, if they do not maintain eighty-five percent capacity, the federal government is then due to pay them a penalty for each month that that capacity is below the uh, named level. 
So it's much easier to send out a directive to the judges, might be a phone call, whatever it is, and say, look, we're about to get below our minimum out here. Make sure you put some people in prison this month. And think about this. We were chatting back and forth a little bit yesterday. If you're in a county that's struggling financially and the U.S. Marshal says, hey, I need, we're going to detain this guy. We need you to hold him in your cell. Um, and they're going to get compensated $5,000 per day. How big of a hurry are, are these counties going to be in to release these prisoners when they're getting you know, that kind of money per day? Zero, George. And that was the reason I sent you a text the other day when you were talking about it. And uh, here's something I think most people don't realize, because we've got this Constitutional Sheriff's Association and people think, hey, if we can talk to our sheriff, we can get this done, we can get that done. In essence, you cannot, because starting back in the 70s, the federal government started LEAP, the Law Enforcement Assistance Program, to where federal grants were given to local counties to provide for law enforcement. And when the federal government gives you money, they buy control of your organization. People, the sheriffs are not going to stand up for the Constitution because financially they can't afford to. Wow. And I know it's another thing that people say, oh, well, you know, we, uh, you know, and I I think they do it, uh, you know, out of honest and you know, they're searching for a way to, let's see if we can't, and if our sheriff would just stand up, and uh, I think you mentioned the other day, and it's correct, uh, the sheriff is the king of the county. Yep. And uh, I was actually in a county in uh, Colorado where the sheriff and the uh, district attorney told the feds, you do not come into this county and you do not uh, do anything in our county without running it by us first. And they were, the sheriff was reminded in very short order about how much money he got from the law enforcement assistance program. It's always about the so, dollar. So they bought off the schools, George, with the, you know, they started off back when I was a kid, and that's been, you know, a uh, hundred years ago. Uh, but they started off when I was a kid with free milk. You know, yep. if you if you were a kid, you know, that couldn't afford it, your family was, oh, you got free milk. And then it came became free lunches. And then they started serving breakfast and lunch all on the federal dole. So when the federal when when your local school board says we want to do this, the federal government says, nope, sorry, you can't do that. We'll take our money back. And it's actually your money that they've stolen to start with that they're now bribing you with. But people really believe that they can find a way around this. But that action that happened in Colorado with the sheriff, and, and I remember the sheriff calling me and saying, hey, come here. I, I, I want you to look at this. And uh, he was told explicitly, uh, you tell feds, uh, any federal agency, that they can't operate in your uh, county and your uh, law enforcement assistance grant will be dropped post haste and the problem is is they have financed in most counties at least half of the salaries wow through this law enforcement law enforcement assistance program and if you will remember the wonderful Barry Sotero uh, 
said, uh, you remember his move to nationalize all police? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that that is coming. And in essence, they've done it anyway with this uh, with this money deal. But uh, that is coming to where it will be one unified police force. They're all working together. And I believe the things that we saw that we're mentioning about to Virginia Tech to get back to that, I believe that was a completely run federal operation. Uh, you know, you want to make sure that you have the numbers high to get the proper emotion. Yep. If there would only been two people killed, uh, you know, people would have said, oh, wow, that's too bad, blah, blah, blah. But you kill 33. And then you grab the emotions. So you, as I mentioned before, you've got to have a target-rich environment. And where do you put them? Do you know what they found, George, when they actually got to Norris Hall? The inside of those doors. Remember the old uh, doors where you would push the bar at the bottom and yeah. the door would open? Mm -hmm. All of those were chained shut from the inside. There is no record. They had to go in through the windows. There is no record anywhere that shows that Cho bought enough chains and locks to lock the inside of those doors. And you would think somebody would have seen him. Yeah, somebody, you know, you look up, you're in a busy hallway, and you look up and somebody's putting chains around the door, and you're going... And he's standing there with a vest on like he had in the other picture. And you're going, oh, yeah, well, that's normal. Let's get on back to work here. Yeah, I got to get to math class. Yeah. So, no, this is, and I don't know, George, this is, I think we bring these things up in many cases to show the people that unequivocally this thing is too rotten to uh, rescue. Uh, it, they The... Overall, the takeover is complete. They have everything. And as I mentioned on one of my programs earlier, we uh, are in a war. We just don't realize it. But one of the things that happened, like when I was talking with my friend uh, Jim Sepai, the Navajo, uh, we were talking and he was correlating with how in 1864, how Kit Carson and the Union Army came into the Navajo Reservation and uh, basically destroyed them and marched them to Bosco Redondo. The first thing they did was to destroy their food supply. Mm. That's brutal. So, so uh, I don't know, George, will Americans in your mind, do you think Americans will ever wake up to this uh, or will it be too late? They better. They, they certainly better. Otherwise or, uh, their children and grandchildren are going to have pretty miserable lives. That is the thing, George, that bothers me every day of my life. Me too. I promise you. I look at my grandkids and I go, and that was one of the things I was going to tell you before uh, about something my grandfather told me and something I'll always remember. We had gone to his 97th uh, birthday party and we were on the way home and he was he just out of nowhere. He said, well, I'm not going to be around here much longer and I'm kind of glad. And I said, Oh, come on, Pa. You're 97 years old. Yeah, but look at you're in good health. Look at the stuff you do. You know, you make your own bed. You fix your own breakfast. Uh, you do stuff, you know, that most people 30 years younger than you can't do. And he said, no. He said, you don't understand, boy. That's not what I'm talking about. He said, what I'm telling you is this. If you live to be anywhere near as old as I am now, 
I wouldn't want to see what you're going to see. And what year would that have been around? That was, that was in 1979, George. Oh, wow. Yeah, the 70s were, <laughs> were unusual, that's for sure. Cash shortages. Yeah, 79, that was the, the year of the first school shooting, the, the, the Cleveland one that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, one little oddity we didn't mention was uh, th- th- that inscription on his arm, uh, Is- Ismail Axe. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, the Mus- Muslim connection? Yeah, yeah. And some people have uh, said that they think it was put on after the fact, that maybe after they, the agents killed him, they, they kind of had that on there. That's, I don't know. It's a little unusual for an Asian guy to have <laughs> a Muslim inscription on him. I don't know. Well, George, it was 2007. Who was the boogeyman du jour? Oh, yeah. Well, the boogeyman du jour since, uh, because from... Uh, the end of World War II to, let's say, 1990, the, the boogeyman was the commies. Uh, but after, uh, the, you know, the breaking up of, of, you know, the Soviet Union and everything, they needed a, a new boogeyman. So uh, the, the Middle East, you know, your Irans, your Iraqs, um, if you heard a guy say Allah, praise Allah, he's crazy. <laughs> right? right. <laughs> so, well, that, that, George. That, go ahead. No, what I was going to say, it's kind of throw a link in here. Are you familiar that under Jimmy Carter, Zbigniew Brzezinski and uh, Gates, the uh, assistant director of the CIA, who would become secretary of defense, are you familiar with the fact that they sent $500 million seed money to the Muslim Brotherhood under Jimmy Carter so that they could begin their military enterprise? Doesn't surprise me. Well, it was amazing that uh, uh, Gates wrote a book about it, and he mentioned it in his book, and then Big New Brzezinski was interviewed, and he was said, didn't it bother you to send... Five hundred million dollars. Now this is five hundred million dollars in seventy-eight. Didn't it bother you to send that much money, five hundred million dollars, to the Muslim Brotherhood or the Muslim uh, activist? And he said, "Ah, who cares about Muslims?" He said, "They're never going to do anything anyway." (laughs) And so then, then we have nine eleven. So, you know. You can't make this. You can't make this stuff up, George. No, you can't. And uh, that's another one that's hard to convince people what really happened that day. Uh, I tell people just Google dancing Israelis uh, or the Odigo messaging system. Those damn nineteen terrorists and how convenient was his passport just floating to the sidewalk in New York City? Oh, who was the FBI director then? I'm trying to think of his name. He was all involved with Trump and stuff too. Uh, Started with an M. Uh, not, not Garland. Uh, no, no, no. No, this was, uh, uh, well, anyway, I thought it very unusual that after 9 11, yeah, Mueller, thank you, uh, that after 9 11, Mueller was asked publicly, why is Osama bin Laden not on the 10 most wanted list of the FBI? And Mueller said because there's no proof he was involved in 
publicly, George. Why was he? Why was he not on the? Why was he not on the ten most wanted list if he was the perpetrator? Again, just another. We could do, we could go through this all day, pointing these things out that make absolutely no sense. Yet the people, uh, as long as they say it on the television, Mike, it's it's the truth. Oh, the lobotomy box. Yeah, and it yeah, has worked you, so well. Absolutely. Do you think that the the connection? I know. <laughs> We're kind of outreaching, but that's okay. Do you think he was uh, Colonel, Kim, uh, Tern, uh, Colonel Tim Osmond? Do you think he was a CIA asset in the 80s? Uh, say that again, please, George. I'm sorry. I had some extraneous noise there, which I'm about to cut off. Go ahead. Um, so, Osama bin Laden, do you believe he was uh, the CIA operative in the 80s by the Colonel Tim Osmond? Oh, yes. Absolutely. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Were you familiar that... Uh, uh, of course, how many people knew that he was getting kidney dialysis? And they're still uh, online today. You can find the article from Fox News dated December 26, 2001, reporting the death of Osama bin Laden, saying he died uh, December 15th from kidney failure. Well, George, have you been familiar with anyone who was receiving kidney dialysis? Yeah, and chances are they wouldn't be in a cave in Afghanistan. Well, it's kind of hard to get the machine in there, isn't it? <laughs> because, and what is the life expectancy of kidney dialysis? Yeah, especially when you're in a renal failure, which he was at that point. So, mm -hmm. well, do you remember the fact that he was actually in a hospital in France, in which the uh, French uh, newspaper La Figura actually reported that while he was in the hospital, and this is in 2000. While he was in the hospital in France, he was visited by the CIA. Are they paying him for the copyrights to make him the international bad guy? I'm not sure what was happening, but uh, La Figura published the story, and then they came under all kind of intense scrutiny in, on the world stage. Mm. But they they published it. I actually have a copy of it when it came out because... Uh, even back in 9-11 uh, days, George, when things would pop up, I knew that they were going to disappear at some point in time. So I tried to uh, gather and uh, keep as many of them as I possibly could. Well, that was some good foresight because they have wiped out, especially anything that was on YouTube, you know, prior to 2000, whenever the Great Purge was. Uh, right. All that stuff's long gone as well. Well, I wrote a published article back then about the put options. And all of the money that was made on the put options. On the airlines? Uh, yes, with American mm -hmm. Airlines and, uh, and United. And no one else bought any put options on the other airlines to any significant value. But they flooded the two that were involved in 9-11, which is, uh, you know, advance notice. Uh, there's no way you're going to run out and invest a bunch of money if you don't know something's about to happen. And the crazy thing about it is, is again, Americans are dumber than a rock, is the fact that the FBI has a program, a software program, that tracks all purchases. And anything that looks, I forgot what it was called back then, they, there was a program that they had, still have it, that any suspicious purchases that look like insider trading or anything else goes immediately to the Bureau. And so they would have seen anything like these put options that were bought. 
against United and American, and people made millions on this. Oh, for sure. But, you know, as you said, and I love your phraseology, George, they flew some aluminum cones into a, <laughs> into a steel building, and look what happened. The yeah. aluminum won. Yep, it was one of them days. I guess the wind was just going the right direction and the trajectory of the aluminum tube. Uh, you know, maybe it, it must have been a lot of luggage in the plane that day. Maybe if people yeah. didn't bring four suitcases per person, this might not have happened. Yeah, something something like that happened. But have you uh, have you listened to uh, DW, my old friend from Alabama, the retired airline pilot? Have you listened to him when he talks about he and several other uh, trainers, not just commercial airline pilot, but trainers actually got on the uh, simulation machine at Hartfield in Atlanta and tried to hit the World Trade Centers and couldn't do it. And is that because of the airspeed at that? Because I, like I understand, like the whole thing with the Pentagon, that's completely ludicrous. But what exactly is the reason why they couldn't hit the buildings? Well, he said it had to do with speed, and he said, as you mentioned, airspeed, and he said that it is not, you You think people rationally, they're thinking about uh, driving a car and hitting something, turning and hitting it, and he said you uh, can't actually comprehend the speed that that plane is moving at and the ability when you would have to start making an adjustment in order to hit a building. But if you take it back, and you will remember that on that evening on Fox News, and the reporter lost his job in New York City, he was interviewing people on the street, and there was one lady in particular and several others who said those were not commercial airliners that hit that building. They had no windows. Yep. And one of the things we know is that they can be directed right on spot by uh, GPS. Yep. 100%. And you can actually take planes off and land them remotely. And most people do not realize that uh, Joe Kennedy's, uh, the son, Joseph, was actually killed in World War II escorting uh, some B-25s that were pilotless in a training program uh, for bombing. That's interesting. So that was uh, 50 years since Operation Northwoods. And you, you guess it's a similar thing where they swapped out planes because there was an airfield. Because uh, obviously you, you heard the story there in the, the air flying around for a while. And it flew over one of the airfields there where a lot of people say they did the, the swap for the plane that actually flew into the World Trade Center. Well, I had an uh, on that very day of 9/11, I got a phone call from an old retired uh, U.S. Uh, Army colonel who was in the military intelligence field. He's uh, he passed away probably 2003 or 2004, but uh, he was asking me. I'll never forget the phone call I got, and he said, "Hey, Gaddy, you believe this shit?" And I said, "Nope." And he said, "Well," he said, "I don't either." And then he started telling me about a couple of uh, things that he had heard. He heard that, uh, now not confirmed, but he sure. said that he heard that all three of the airliners involved actually landed in Cleveland and that the people, because there were very small populations on each aircraft, were actually put onto the uh, uh, one aircraft and it was taken up and then it was shot down over Shanksville. 
But oh, th- gotcha, gotcha. But that doesn't uh, compute for me mm. because there is there's no actual plane. Yeah, there's there was zero parts that were huh, interesting. And a, uh, a U.S. Uh, Air Force uh, colonel of the female variety that I knew very well. She was on the Mideast desk at the Pentagon. She went outside after the uh, alleged attack, and she said it wasn't an airliner. couldn't have been an airliner at the Pentagon, she said, because there was no landing gear anywhere to be found. And if you know the redundancy of the uh, structure of a landing gear for a 757, you would know that it could survive anything. And uh, the, the same testimony was given from that specialist. It was her first day back from maternity leave. She was working in the accounting department, and she actually <clears throat> walked out of where the building was hit. That's where she was working. She said not one seat, not one wheel, not one piece of luggage was there. So right. lots of holes in that one for sure. We've got uh, a minute and change. Uh, we, we should give some teasers for tomorrow, maybe a, a connection with uh, Nadal Hassan and Virginia Tech. Oh, this one's going to be fun, George. Uh, Virginia Tech was fun. Tomorrow, folks, is going to be a really brain tickler because there are so many holes in this one. Uh, Swiss cheese looks like a concrete wall. Yeah, and again, this is some of the things, you you know, when... Excuse me. When you research school shootings, we all talk about Sandy Hook and Parkland and Vegas. This may be the least talked about event, and you're going to see some stunning uh, revelations tomorrow. I'm really looking forward to it, George, and I could not have picked a better person to do it with. I really appreciate uh, where can you do better chasing facts, but with the fact hunter himself. Well, I appreciate that, sir, and I really look forward tomorrow uh, addicted to our own destruction uh 5 to 7 p.m eastern time right here on speak free radio it's going to be a great two hours of uh, information from the legendary mike gaddy and uh there's our music don't forget tonight 8 p.m eastern time it's the one and only frederick c blackburn and uh, the breakfast club and don't forget tomorrow 5 p.m don't miss it part two uh we'll be talking about the fort hood shooting everybody have a great rest of your day mike thanks again for joining us thanks george And everybody have a great rest of your day. God bless. We will see you. And uh, we should...